facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Fantastic Friday to you. It's the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we've got some work to do. We've got some prayer to do and some reparation that we need to do today. And the number to call right now is 888-914-914. 9149. It's a toll-free line to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com, and follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, uh, today at the 1210 Mass local time in the COLA, as it's uh, affectionately known in Los Angeles, the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels, he made sure that he was there alive and in person because of what's going to be happening tonight at Dodgers Stadium. And so the Archdiocese of Los Angeles was asking Catholics in that Archdiocese, and of course this applies to Catholics all around the United States and even around the world, to stand together in prayer. Uh, leading up, of course, to the Dodgers Pride Night celebration this evening when the team is going to honor, of course, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, uh, which has been very credibly accused of mocking the Catholic faith, uh, desecrating the Holy Cross, making light of nuns, religious sisters. And so the Archdiocese has asked Catholics to, to pray special prayers today, especially the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. At Mass, during a holy hour, it was prayed earlier today on Relevant Radio, will be prayed later as well during the Family Rosary Across America at 7 p.m. Central right here on Relevant Radio, during a holy hour with the Blessed Sacrament. And so, this is what uh, this is a statement from the Archdiocese of L.A., quote, the forthcoming Dodgers event, honoring a group that mocks women religious, and worse, desecrates the cross, profanes the Eucharist, disrupts Holy Mass, has caused disappointment, dismay, and pain in our Catholic community, as well as among our fellow Christians and people of good will. The Archdiocese of Los Angeles stands for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means we stand against any form of bigotry, hate, or sacrilege. And so, when the group was first announced as receiving the Dodgers Community Hero Award, uh, obviously this was roundly denounced, including by the Catholic League, uh, Florida U.S. Senator Marco Rubio. And then the Dodgers kind of backtracked, as you know, just recapping the situation. Most of you know this already. The Dodgers backtracked on this award, rescinded the invite, but then under pressure from the sisters and other groups aligned with them, reinstated their invite for tonight. So basically what we're going to do is uh, we're going to keep in a posture of prayer today. Uh, we're going to stand in solidarity uh, with Archbishop Gomez and all Catholics in Los Angeles and around the country. And I want to actually share with you uh, some words from the homily that the Archbishop preached today in the cathedral in Los Angeles. Here's what he had to say. Check this out. When God is insulted, when the beliefs of any of our neighbors are ridiculed, it diminishes all of us. When we reward such acts, it hurts our unity as one city and one nation, as one family under God. As we know, our religious sisters, our priests and deacons, our Catholic lay people and consecrated men and women, they are serving selflessly in our communities every day. Wherever there is, there is human need and human sufferings, 
Catholics are there. We are teachers and healers. We are advocates for, the, for those our society neglects. The poor, the homeless, the prisoner, the unborn, the immigrant. We do this because we are Catholics and we are called to love with the heart of Jesus. And let us listen again to the Lord's words in today's gospel. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. At every turn in his earthly life, Jesus rejected the temptation to violence. When one of his disciples raised his sword to fight for him, Jesus said, no more of this. Jesus was meek and humble of heart. And Jesus gave his church the mission to proclaim the good news of his love for every human heart to the ends of the earth until the day he returns. This is our mission as Catholics, my dear brothers and sisters. So today, on this great solemnity, let us go to Jesus and learn from him. Let us ask him to make our hearts more, more like his own. Jesus commands us to forgive those who trespass against us and to pray for those who persecute us. And he, taught, he taught us to oppose what is wrong and ugly with, that, with, with what is beautiful and true, just as he did. So today we ask him to give us the strength to do that. That was Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles talking about really what St. Paul commanded us to do in the New Testament, to drown evil in an abundance of good. He was preaching today, of course, the Mass for the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus today at the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels in Los Angeles. And he talked about the importance of forgiveness, obviously, and also for prayer. We, we need to pray for those people and for all who are involved with uh, that movement, how confused they are, obviously, in their hearts and in their souls, and also to try to do some good. And, and one of the things that the Archdiocese wants uh, Catholics to do is to show care and respect for women religious by supporting them, uh, reaching out to them. You can you can email them, you can call them, you can send them letters on social media, you can uh, respond to them and, and donate to causes that, that they support. And there were a number of women religious that were at the Mass at the Cathedral today, and I was able to catch a, a little bit of the broadcast on YouTube. And he thanked, uh, Archbishop Gomez thanked uh, women religious in particular at the end of the Mass for their vocation, for their dedication, for their service. And they ought not to be mocked. And, and this has made, obviously, people incredibly uncomfortable. I highly doubt if Vin Scully were still alive and he passed away last year, there's no way the Dodgers organization would have tried this. He was a very faithful Catholic, made a recording of himself praying the rosary very famously some years ago. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's not a Catholic, but he is a Christian, I said in an interview after all this kind of shook down that he did not agree with making fun of anyone's religion. And, and obviously the Dodgers did announce a Christian Faith and Family Day, which is going to be held on July the 30th. Too little, too late? <laughs> um, I don't know, but... Uh, having said that, uh, Kershaw obviously hit the nail on the head here. This is not more than just trying to tolerate uh, and make space for, for different groups, but this is actually anti-Catholic bigotry. It's intolerance. And why is this happening? Why is this allowed to happen? I have some thoughts on this and how we can really fight back against it. 
uh, in a couple of minutes. But if you have a, a take on what the Archbishop said, if you want to comment, you can call in right now, 888 Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Larry in Rockville, Maryland. Hi, Larry. Hi, Dale. How are you tonight? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for calling in. Good. Just listening to everything the last couple of days about this. Yes, it's very disgusting what's going on. was able to go to Mass with my family this morning, offering reparation for this mm. uh, violent attack against the sisters, of, of good sisters, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But, exactly. Um, I want to tell you that was I was researching here, and uh, I, I think your screen caller already knew this, but there's only one team in baseball that's not having a Pride Night, and I, most of your audience probably does not know that. I'm not sure if you know that. I did know that, yeah. yeah why don't you go ahead and tell us who, who that team is? Okay, that is the Texas Rangers, my number, fa- number one favorite team now, <laughs> who, who I think has the best record in baseball. <laughs> They're pretty good. <laughs> No. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, they said they do support some gay men's world series down there. They give money to it, but they don't have a pride night on their website. It says they want every fan to be welcome every game that they have. And they support a lot of other causes, military night, police night, but they're not doing that. And the LGBTQ community said a statement about the Rangers that maybe they'll figure it out one day. But right now they're talking and they even have they're supporting colleges to come there. And the colleges that they're bringing in are against the gay rights. <laughs> so it's it's uh, Texas Rangers are doing something good down there. Yeah, and just a uh, just a quick note: they're actually the th- they have the third best record currently in the major leagues. And it, it's interesting. Yeah, they're n- they're not having a, a Pride Night. And what's I, I was sent an article, and I I haven't had a chance to to fact check it yet. It's from the Daily Signal, and apparently, Major League Baseball has kind of on the QT ordered teams not to wear pride jerseys and uh during during this month or during even during the if they are having a pride night and obviously all the other teams are to not actually wear the jerseys now that's not going to be the case tonight san francisco and la they will be wearing the jerseys will be wearing the caps but uh it's interesting and i think i think a lot of this um makes me think of an article and thanks for that call larry really appreciate you calling in an article i read uh, just came out a couple days ago in first things by father raymond j d'souza he was kind of commenting on uh, the fracas surrounding the Dodgers and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and why it was, why he thinks the L.A. Dodgers em- embraced, at the end of the day, anti-Catholicism after their flip-flop, he thinks it has a lot to do, essentially, with business. It was a business decision, and, th- and that's something that we can really think about really uh, intensely, I think, in-, in-, in terms of our response to this. Um, you mentioned back in 1990, and I remember this very well, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, who at the time was obviously on top of the basketball world, and and people were always pressing Michael Jordan to make political comments, and he just really wasn't that kind of guy. He wasn't going to do that, whether he ought to have gotten involved in causes or not, I don't know. But he famously said this in 1990, Republicans buy sneakers too. And obviously the Air Jordan Empire is pretty vast, and he didn't want that to be uh, threatened in any way. And yeah, people, I, th- I think we're trying to press him on speaking out in terms of progressive causes or liberal causes. But he, he made essentially a business decision. Um, and Father, Father D'Souza talks about Tim Bush, a very famous Catholic businessman, who said that corporations should really follow that Jordan rule, stay out of these kinds of controversies. But Father D'Souza speculated that perhaps Dodger management was kind of calculating that this was 
not only sort of a, a cultural zeitgeist uh, that they wanted to take advantage of, maybe wanted to ride this wave, but they thought it might be good commercially. They thought it might be good for the bottom line. As he puts it, quote, there was more money in sacrilege than in sanctity, end of quote. And so this is where the calls for the boycotts uh, of, of the Dodgers really have come into play, and, and several prominent Catholics and bishops have called for exactly that. Will the Dodgers change their approach? I, I don't know. Um, we obviously should pray. We should pray for them. We should make reparation uh, by praying the litany. That's the least we can do today um, for all the sacrileges committed against the heart of Jesus. And uh, we've got to pray. But also we've got to think about uh, where we're spending our money and, and how are we supporting this. And D'Souza mentioned this, and I kind of forgot about this, but in 1998, you might recall this, all 30 major league clubs at the time played on Good Friday. And Cardinal John O'Connor of New York was absolutely livid about this. And this is exactly the time when people were celebrating the passion of our Lord. And so here's what he said at the time in 1998. Colonel John O'Connor wrote, quote, I believe that playing on Good Friday, at the very least from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, is cheap and cheapens our culture, no matter how big the box office receipts. I resent it, I protest it, and I will not go to a game in 1998. He was a big Yankees fan. They won the World Series that year, so that came at some personal cost. But I'm glad he was, I'm sure he was glad to pay that cost, as it were by not paying for any Yankees tickets. Now this year, let's fast forward to this year, 2023. A lot of teams actually had their home openers on Good Friday. And in Cleveland, you might recall this, this was a big deal at the time, uh, a couple months ago in April. Some were asking, well, will, will, her, will our bishop grant us a dispensation, Catholics who are planning on attending uh, that home opener on Good Friday, can we eat hot dogs at the game? And Bishop Edward Melisic wrote, We cannot grant a dispensation to the practice of abstaining from meat for Catholics attending the baseball game on this most holy Friday of Lent. So uh, application denied. But maybe they shouldn't have been even going in the first place on Good Friday. So something to think about. So what, what, what ought we to do? I think D'Souza and many others are saying, really, you have to hit them where it hurts in the pocketbook. And it'll be interesting to see. Will Catholics actually not go to these games? Will they uh, stop supporting the Dodgers, stop buying tickets, stop buying merchandise? Uh, and, and I think really, in some ways, corporations, they almost don't care what, about right and wrong in a certain sense, but they do care about the bottom line. And the recent boycotts of Target and Bud Light have really brought that home and really caused a lot of corporations to rethink things. I have also heard, and I think it's, verifiable that Starbucks has also uh, ordered that uh, no pride merchandise or rainbow flag material be in their stores uh, anymore during this month. So it, I think people are starting, the tide is starting to turn, I think, in, in many ways. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Benito in Vista, California, in the San Diego area. Hi, Benito. Hi, how are we doing? Yeah, I just wanted to comment that uh, I was a Dodger fan. I'm an ex Dodger fan, so I live in San Diego now. I've been here for 30 years. And the Padres always had a Catholic night. And the bishops always attend. They're actually having one, I think it's the 8th of April. Okay. Uh, next one coming up. And, you know, it's very easy for me to go to a party fan who actually supports the Catholics. Hmm. 
All right. Well, for years, it's 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 really really nice. Yeah. So the pod the Padres. Well, that makes sense. I mean, obviously they're named for Padres for Catholic priests, missionary priests. Uh, the Padres have always had a Catholic night, as Benito said, and the bishop uh, does always attend. Okay, that's that's good. That's good to know. Um, all right, we got to take a quick break right now on the show. But when we come back, you're going to want to hang on because you're going to hear my conversation with Cardinal Thomas Collins. Because one of the things that we have to do is respond with positivity, respond with the truth of the gospel. It's one of the things that Archbishop Gomez said at the end of the Mass today. Let's really spread to people the beauty, the joy, the truth of the gospel. And this hashtag is trending on Twitter, Sacred Heart, hashtag Sacred Heart, Sacred Truth. And, and really, that's what's going to attract people, the, the truth, the beauty of the truth, the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness. And we've got to really uh, show forth those things, especially at this time. But we also need to focus on the Sacred Heart of Jesus and what it's all about. And Cardinal Collins We'll be by for a conversation with me right after this break. 888-914-9149. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Cardinal Thomas Collins, who's written a beautiful pastoral letter on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And Cardinal Collins, you mentioned in the letter that the Sacred Heart is a treasure that's very central to our life in Christ, but you also say that it's been hidden in plain sight in the church. Why is that? Well, I don't know what really happened, because many, many uh, churches are called Sacred Heart schools, are called that, uh, you know, and it, it's just that we see it, it's sort of like a crucifix on the wall, you see it so often it disappears, mm. you don't notice it anymore, <laughs> and I don't know why, it's, uh, we, you know, we have people, I remember seeing, I when, when I was uh, out west, I was a bishop there, These you have these uh, people, very religious Catholics, they're all heading out to, for all these strange new age uh, spiritualities mm. and stuff, yeah. I think, good grief. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is just so fundamental. It goes back to Mark of Mary, you know, in the 1600s, mm-hmm. uh, and also to the St. Uh, Francis de Sales and John de Chatel, who founded the Order, the Visitations she was a member of. But it really, I, I just recently, I raised the flag at uh, one of our wonderful schools, De La Salle School, the flag of the Sacred Heart, to mm-hmm. commemorate the month of the Sacred Heart. Uh, in my opinion, that's the flag that should be raised <laughs> in Catholic schools, <laughs> and only that, no other. That's the only one there is. So I was happy to raise the flag. But I noticed, I discovered something I didn't realize, uh, but they t- this flag they chose is the current flag of one of the states or provinces mm-hmm. of France. You have these little kind of regions. And it's La Vendée. And hmm. to this day, it's a beautiful, it's a kind of a stylized sacred heart. But that's the part of France which remained faithful during the French Revolution. Wow. Many, many martyrs, many martyrs. And they defended the faith and they gave their lives under the sign of the sacred heart. And so it's very deep. And it goes right back, of course, to, uh, to St. the Gospel, St. John, the, the heart, you know, the, uh, the water and the blood flowing right. forth from the heart of Christ. 
Absolutely. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Cardinal Thomas Collins is my guest. And there's so many different takes on the Sacred Heart image, but, but a lot of them, a lot of the images keep popping up again and again, different aspects of it. The fact that it's a, a wounded heart, the fact that it's mm-hmm. surrounded by a crown of thorns, surrounded by uh, flames, uh, you know, topped by a cross. Can you, can you maybe speak to that imagery in particular? And you do talk about it in your letter. They're not accidental to the image, are they? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, at the center of all is the heart, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the heart is, is a sign of love. The reason the heart really is a good sign of love is that it's faithful. It's hidden and faithful and steady. It goes, you know, da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. Mm. It, the key thing, one of the key things about love, and certainly the love of Christ for us, is it's faithful. We see that in the Old Testament, the love of God for his people. They're not faithful, but God is always faithful. So that's why the heart mm. is the symbol of love. Uh, and also the symbol of the inner person. Uh, there's uh, a wonderful uh, book by Dietrich von Hildebrand called The Heart, which I highly recommend, okay. uh, which talks about just a sense of personhood comes from the heart, the affectivity of the person. But the heart is going to be wounded in this life uh, as we see so much suffering. Uh, and the heart has the crown of thorns and the wounds. That's love which suffers. So not just theoretical love, love, love. It's something that's real. It can often, real love involves some suffering, maybe even martyrdom. Mm -hmm. And then on the top of it is the cross, because that's the sacrificial love. Uh, You know, he laid down his life for us. He gave himself for us. So that's what we're called to take up our cross and follow Christ. And then from it all, we have flames of glory to give the light and and the warmth that come from that, but also the glory, the glory of God made manifest in his love for us. And not love theoretically, but love, which our Lord shows us in washing dirty feet. Right. That's what it looks. That's what the Sacred Heart of Jesus looks like. In it could be on the cross, yes, but it's also the night before we're washing the feet of the apostles. You mentioned this a moment ago, Cardinal Collins. Uh, we obviously think most in terms of saints associated with the Sacred Heart, Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque. But there are other saints affiliated with the devotion too, and you mentioned in particular Saint Francis de Sales. The fact that the laity can and should become saints themselves. He wrote a lot about that. How can the Sacred Heart help us in this regard? No, I think that's very true. Like St. Francis de Sales, uh, his great book, uh, well, the most famous book is Introduction to the Devout Life. And he wrote it for uh, lay people day to day. He said, you know, you don't have to become a, a monk or a nun or a bishop or something uh, to, to be a saint. And sanctity, he said, is like honey, which you drop many different jewels, you know, uh, emerald, uh, diamond, uh, pearl, or whatever, sapphire. And they all remain themselves. They still remain a diamond, a pearl, a sapphire, but they just sparkle more brightly. And he said, we're all mm-hmm. very different. And, uh, and yet, so we, we, God doesn't change our personalities, whether, but he does say, by the way, he says, we are all diamonds and sapphires and emeralds. <laughs> we're all mm-hmm. precious to God. But when we are living a life of holiness, what we are, by ourselves sparkles and is, is shines more brightly. So that's what is very much at the heart of, of uh, the heart of Francis de Sales. I often think Francis de Sales must be the patient in a merchandising with a name like Sales, but I mean, that's not, that's, that's not true. Uh, so Francis de Sales, the patient in a writers actually, uh, mm. and uh, he's a great, great bishop and he's a great friend of Jeanne de Chantal. And the two of them founded the Visitation Sisters and a few decades after they died, uh, Margaret Mary was one of their sisters, you know, was the, the sister of that order. And they, so she picked up, I think God always uses what is with us already. 
And so when God, uh, when our Lord Jesus appeared uh, to Margaret Mary, uh, it was stressing and building upon the spiritual life which uh, St. Francis de Sales and St. Jean de Chantal had um, since developed. And Francis was very loving. Um, he at first had an angry temper, but he, by God's mm-hmm. grace, he, he was overcome. He's famous for clarity and charity. Teach clearly, but always lovingly, not hammering people. Oh, I think we could use a lot of that these days, you know. Yeah, uh, a bit culture. more and more charity. You know, <laughs> it's so sharp. And and he said once that in t- talking to a preacher, it's a young bishop asked for advice. So how to preach? So he sent a letter. He wrote him a letter, which is about thirty pages long, and uh, that uh, that uh, he said at that time, the lips speak to the ears. But heart speaks to heart, cor ad corloquiter, and that's really true. Our own, we we need to meet the whole person, not just the words. It's got to go deep into the heart to who the person is, and uh, that's really what the Sacred Heart of Jesus does for us. Well, that's beautifully said. My guest is Cardinal Thomas Collins. We're talking about the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Your Eminence, one of the things that you write in the letter is this: you say, "Quote, accept no." substitutes no false jesus of my imagination end of quote it kind of reminds me a little bit of maybe a lot of saint paul's letter to the galatians when he says that if anyone comes to you preaching a jesus other than the one we preach to you let him be accursed so what are some of the false jesuses the counterfeit christs that are preached in today's culture and how does the sacred heart correct our vision of him well, I think that's a very important problem we face right now. Uh, often people who are, uh, you know, very good, devout or good in their, their intentions and so on, they want to be, they speak of themselves as Catholics and they say, what would Jesus do? But often what Jesus would do is what they would like to do. And so people <laughs> would say, but Jesus says, uh, you know, be inclusive, be whatever. But actually he doesn't ever say that. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near at hand. Mm, wow. So people have a great, especially I often think of in Catholic education and other places, uh, People have a great desire, of course, to um, mention the Lord and to, to look to him as an example, or at least to, to, to use his name. But the image they have is Jesus must be someone who really, since he must be, since I'm right and he must be right, he probably agrees <laughs> with what I want to do. So, they, you know, yeah. he wouldn't, he was sort of, he's sort of a nice guy, and, and I would hope he's a nice guy, so there we are. So, so if I want to do something, surely Jesus would say it's okay, you know, no problem. Mm. And so what's happened sometimes, Jesus, they never actually read the gospel. That's mm. what I've taken lately to saying to people, read a chapter of the gospel every day. There are 89 chapters. You can go about, if you do one a day, you can go through the whole gospel like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John four times, in a, roughly, in the course of a year. Mm-hmm. Because then you actually meet the Jesus, the, the, you know, the one who stills the waters and calms mm-hmm. the waves. And reading that, meeting that Christ, encountering Christ, changes lives. It's amazing. But he's not just someone to be used to support a kind of a gooey, meringue-like uh, uh, secularism mm-hmm. or something, or to or to condone sins, you know, to say, oh, I mean, he sees as a nice guy, he probably is in favor of that. I mean, no, read the gospel, because people want a comfortable Jesus. But you do not tame the Lion of Judah, you know, this is mm-hmm. nuts. It's just not the way to go. And so we, we need to have a, realize Jesus is my Lord and my God, his love is compassionate there. It's always right there. And that's what the Sacred Heart of Jesus represents. The compassion of Christ 
but it is always linked to truth. Mm-hmm. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've alluded to, to it a little bit. How does the Sacred Heart of Jesus speak to that need that people have? We are looking for love. We're made for love, but we're not finding it necessarily because we're looking for it in the wrong place, in the wrong way. Well, people can speak of love a lot. You know, we do it all the time. But what does it mean? It's just like mm. uh, the great, uh, we think, of, well, a great example of that, of course, the Confessions, where Augustine, he was looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> when he was looking for fame, he wanted a love of himself mainly. He wanted to be a big star, but also love, lust, and everything. He, he's the famous one who said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. <laughs> uh, you know, that was his way. He also talked about temptations to lust, which are so thin, they're like threads we do not notice till they become like ropes we cannot break. Mm. But eventually he found love. And the love he found was the, really the sacred, the symbol of Augusta is the heart, you know, the sacred heart. It really is the heart of Christ. And it is, and then it, he says at one point when he, when he finally had his conversion and found the love of Christ, you know, late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. And behold, you were within and I was outside and outside I sought you and deformed right after those forms of beauty you had made. You were with me and I was not with you. Those things held me back from you. Things whose only hmm. being was to be in you. You flashed, you shone, you broke through my blindness. You called, you cried, you broke through my deafness. You touched me, and I yearned for your embrace. So that's the love, the love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And all the other ones have to be seen in terms of that. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Cardinal Thomas Collins from the Archdiocese of Toronto talking about his pastoral letter, Heart Speaks Too Hard, about the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, the difference between compassion, which is obviously a function of, of a true loving heart, and its deadly imitation sentimentality. I'd like you to talk about that, especially in reference to a lot of the social issues that are going on. I think a lot of people in the United States aren't necessarily aware of how pervasive sentimentality is in our culture, especially how it, how it affects things like the euthanasia debate. Can you, can you speak about that just for a moment? You know, that's very, very true. Like people, you call it mercy killing is another term for it. Well, it's not mercy. If you're killing, you can't be doing mercy, you know. <laughs> but, it, but you know, it's, uh, it's sort of, well, it's a loving thing to do. And Well, that's sentimental because what it is, the sentimentality is feeling disconnected from truth. I mean, mm, this I like is, that. if you say, I really feel sorry, this person seems to be suffering, so stick in the needle and they're going to die, but they'll be what? Well, no, I'll do them an act of mercy. No, that's sentimentality. You, first of all, they're, you know, you, thou shalt not kill. It's pretty basic. That's clear. And we, we must not do that. And we're, the same thing you find in some ways in relations with uh, sometimes parents with children or, or any of us. When you, you say, uh, you know, the little, little kid is playing with matches. Say, that's okay. Do whatever you want. You know, that's not, that's not love. That's dangerous, mm. you know. Or, or, or sometimes we have a, a sad thing. Some, some kids, God bless them, you know, they're suffering. It's a, some children, and they go through a little confusion. And it usually clears up almost always by the age of 20. But they go through mm-hmm. a little confusion about their, their gender, you know. Mm-hmm. They, and God bless them. We need to be with them, journey with them, and, and show them constant love, the, the love of our Lord. But it is not a lo- show to show love to say, oh, you want to transition from boy to girl or girl to boy. Well, that's okay. I love you. Certainly go right ahead. No, that's <laughs> dangerous. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, that is not love. Sentimentality would say just go for it, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. And we think Jesus is sort of saying, that's okay. I'm fine. No, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near at hand. And so if people want to continue in their 
they're turning in a way that ultimately is not very happy and even in happy happy sense um it's not love it's sentimentality to sort of feel warm to them and say go for it and that is not love and a lot of suffering comes that way especially in terms of the uh, the gender reality a lot of poor kids are now young adults who are their life is ruined because someone thought they were being loving when they were actually hurting uh, and causing irreversible harm and that's so sad so tragic Absolutely. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Cardinal Thomas Collins is my guest. And my wife, Patricia, who's a big Lord of the Rings fan, as you are too, uh, she wanted me to ask you, if you were Gandalf standing at the gates of Mordor and you had the ability to say you shall not pass to any element in the culture that attacks us as Catholics today, what would that be? What what would be the one thing you'd want to stop? Well, I think this kind of relativism that uh, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, uh, highlighted just in the homily just before the conclave that elected him pope i think that's really is a major major problem people well we have so many of these philosophical things that are floating around and uh you know the idea that there is no truth basically everything is just sort of a, a flavor like uh instead of being yes or no it's like do you like chocolate or do you like strawberry and that's just not the way we deal with the most profound issues of life you know what's your truth you hear this well my truth is this your truth is that well, I mean, if you were living in a world like that, good grief, what can you do? I mean, if, you, if you're coming up to a red light, I hope that my truth would mean stop, and not your <laughs> truth would means go. You know, there's an yeah. objectivity. That's why I always do the joke, reality bats last. And, yeah. and this, this idea that we can kind of use the power of our mind, which is really kind of old Gnosticism, where it's basically it's, it's breaking us up into the real me is this sort of spiritual thing in my head or wherever it is. And the body part of me is doesn't really matter. It's a prison. It's a, whatever, a mm-hmm. shell. It's a thing. Well, no, it's we're incarnate spirits. Right. It's the resurrection of the body. It's the resurrection of Christ. It shows a sign of that. And so the idea that the actual real who I am is something not incarnate is wrong. And what it leads to is all kinds of things, including ideas that we can kind of change our very who we are by willing it so. I mean, that uh, that just doesn't work. I mean, it certainly doesn't work if you use with age. I mean, I could, if I will myself to be a 20-year-old, it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. We can't change our age. We can't change how our body is developed. It's something that's given. And, and the idea that there are things that are given Mm-hmm. Is is really important. Well, that's where there was a guy called uh, William of Ockham, and that's way back in, right. the, mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages. He was a very pious Franciscan. He was a very pious, pious man. But his basic kind of idea was that uh, you know these things that that are you can't measure and all that are just they aren't really there. Like there aren't these rules and stuff, things it, that actually govern the universe, principles that are that you can't measure, but they're they're very real. You can't measure them in an ordinary way. And things like, uh, like he would say that thou shalt not steal. We shouldn't steal because God tells us not to steal. But I would say God tells us not to steal because stealing is wrong, inherently so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is at first you get a very, almost, also like a more of a sort of Islamic view that the will of God is everything, which is uh, there, but I mean, not in the sense that the, the nature is just sort of uh, unimportant. But the trouble is what you end up is, is a real, problem there are no it's basically a, a, a game with no rules and we, it, the rules are what i wish them to be sort of like alice in wonderland you know the words are what i mean them to be right now uh, or even you have mm. flags mean uh, things right now that they never meant before there's a great movie the king's speech 
which I often think is a sign of that, that the guy, the person who's to be Edward VIII, you know, the, the, the glorious Prince of Wales, who was like a star. But for him, it all was what he wanted. That's mm. the only thing that mattered. I, and if you listen to his abdication, he said, I could not carry well, the duty of king as I would want to do wow. so without the help and support of the woman I love. But his brother, who's very uh, unspectacular in human ways, he believed in duty, fidelity, honor. And these were not words for him, nomina. Mm-hmm. They were just words for him. They were real. Yeah. Like duty were- was just as real as a rock. And that yeah, makes right. a person great. And these are real things. These are eternal things. And you shared so much about that. And the eternal reality of the sacred heart of Jesus is so crucial to all of that. And Colonel Thomas Collins, I wish we had much more time, but we were running out of time right now. But I would like you to give us and everybody listening right now your apostolic blessing, if you would. May Almighty God bless you and be with you always in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll be right back. 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Now, what a pleasure it was to catch up with Cardinal Thomas Collins, who's now the Archbishop Emeritus of Toronto, kind of like we had Pope Emeritus Benedict. Uh, he had to submit his, as all bishops do, he had to submit his resignation paperwork when he turned 75 last year. Uh, but it wasn't actually accepted by the Pope until this year. So he is now the Archbishop Emeritus. There's a new Archbishop of Toronto, and his name is Francis, interestingly enough. You know, we have Pope Francis, and we have Francis Leo, or Frank Leo. Bishop Frank Leo is now the Archbishop of Toronto. And we welcome him, and hopefully we'll get him on the show at some point as well. But Cardinal Collins, he still has voting rights. Uh, should there be a conclave, he still has lots of responsibilities, and he is going to be very, very active uh, in ministry still. And uh, what a treat it was to have him on. If you want to react to the interview I just had with him about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, you can call in 888 that struck you in any way. would love to hear from you. And also, of course, coming up this Sunday, it is Father's Day. And I'm reflecting on that a little bit. I I read a piece that that really kind of got to me because of the age of my daughter, Michaela, seven years old. And I've been meaning to talk about this for a couple of days, but we've just been so packed out uh, with material and phone calls that I just haven't been able to sneak it in. But I'm glad I'm able to right now. It's this concept of the magic window. Now, what in the world is the magic window. Well, a lot of you guys, a lot of you dads especially, can maybe identify with this. I read a, an interesting piece on an interesting r- website called Rad Reads. It's pretty rad. <laughs> rad Reads. And it's uh, a website that was started by this guy named K. He. And his name is actually spelled K-H-E, last name H-Y. And K. He uh, was in the corporate world, and he kind of stepped away from that a little bit, partially to spend more time with his family. He might go back to it one day, but he was a managing director, and and right now he's kind of doing internet-based businesses, but he can do a lot of that stuff from home. And he wrote this piece on Rad Reads, and it was called, One Day You're No Longer Their Favorite Person. He's obviously talking about children. So let me just, uh, it's a really short little reflection. Just want to read this and get your take on this, 888-914-9149. Have you ever made this choice? Has this ever happened to you? He says, um, Kay, he says, I got a lot of advice, he says, when my first child was born nearly seven years ago. Surviving is winning. (laughs) 
And he says that's the piece of advice that, that was most burned into his cranium. Surviving is winning. You just kind of want to survive those, those early days and nights when you're not getting too much sleep. And uh, it's tough. Fun, but tough. But he says, quote, now that they can kind of use the washroom on their own and sleep through the night, the survivalist mindset has eased, but one tiny story still stands out. It's a story about the magical window of parenthood. There's a magical window, 8 to 12 years of age, maybe a little bit, back that up maybe to 7, let's say, during which you and your wife are their absolute favorite people in the world. They wait by the door for you to come home like a puppy. There's no one on earth they'd rather be with. And then it's gone. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't love you as much. They still need you just as much. But the magical window is gone. He says, now, I I really try to avoid approaching life with a scarcity mindset. But now that I'm fully ensconced in parenthood, this window is undeniable. And he says that he was 34 years old uh, when his first child was born, which kind of coincided with what they generally say is the peak earnings phase of your life. And he said, look, I was a managing director, newly minted. I had unbounded energy. I had full health. And presumably, according to conventional wisdom, he says that really that was the time for him to double down on his career, build the nest egg, grow the college fund. But he figured that once he hit his 50s, he could kind of slow down a little bit, ease off the accelerator. But he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm going to go against conventional wisdom. He said he wanted to go all in on the magical window. And so how did he do that for him? He stepped away from the corporate nine to five and into internet entrepreneurship. Not always easy either, but he could kind of control his own time, and his own hours in, in a certain way. And, he, and again, he, he maybe might re-enter the traditional workforce later on. And he, has, he lives with three girls, his wife and, and, and two daughters. So he says, they might force me out anyways. But, <laughs> but for some people, it means foregoing income to, to try to be more present during the, the quote-unquote magic window. And he talks about a guy that he knows named Jeremy who decided to kind of do it a different way. He stayed in the job that he had, but he just didn't take on any more clients. He said, okay, th- this, is, this is enough for now because it's time that's most valuable with our children. And, hey, maybe we should, we should dial back a little bit with our, with our work lives and, and maybe go back to it again once the kids have kind of gotten older and maybe, maybe moved out. So I, I don't know if this is something that you've ever done. If you're listening to the show today, 888 Did you ever make a conscious decision to step back a little bit from the rat race when your kids were younger, during that period of the magic window, when you're kind of their hero and, and the, the peer group isn't as important to them as it will be later on. Not that you'll, you, you will always be important, you'll always be their, their parents, but there is that time that maybe you have to take advantage of a little bit more. Or maybe you didn't and you wish you had. 888 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. And uh, he gives one quote here. Uh, Kay, he gives one quote on, on how he, what he thinks is one of his favorite definitions of love. And he calls it the fullness of presence. The fullness of presence. And I think for him, that's really what this magic window is all about. Just trying to be more present 
uh, to his kids, trying to be there with them and just, just taking the time and spending the time. I don't know if that resonates with you, 888-914-9149, but it definitely resonated with me. All right, well, one of, one of the things that um, we did do also earlier in the week, I just want to kind of give a little update here. Uh, another thing that's happening this weekend is the U.S. Open always concludes on Father's Day traditionally, and it's also, speaking of Los Angeles, taking place there. And we did have our staff picks, and uh, Patrick Alog, who's working the phones for us, just uh, gave me his update. Um, Producer Jim, wow, I, I couldn't believe this, um, pulled this guy, Jacob Solomon, out of his hat. I, I had no idea who this guy was prior to the tournament, He is, but he was, he was at the top of the leaderboard on the first day. Uh, he is now in 20th place. Um, that was Jim's dark horse pick, and his number one pick to win was Sergio Garcia from Spain. He is also in 20th place, so they're tied right now. I picked Max Homa, the L.A. native, to win the U.S. Open uh, and a, on a course where he holds the course record. He shot 61 during a college tournament there. Well, that was threatened yesterday because this had never happened in the U.S. Open before, but uh, Ricky Fowler and Xander Schauffele from San Diego, they both shot 62 yesterday. That, wow, the previous record was 63 by Johnny Miller in 1973 at Oakmont in the U.S. Open there. Uh, very famous. Nobody's ever come close to that in the U.S. Open until yesterday. So some some embarrassment, I guess you could say, on the part of the USGA for allowing the course to get that out of control, that birdieable, if you will. And I, I think they tried their best to lengthen some of the holes, move the tees back, and play around with the pin positions, make it a little tougher. Not the usual bloodbath of a U.S. Open, but hey, maybe you like it that way. Maybe you find it more entertaining. So I would picked a Max Homa to win. He is currently also in 20th place. But my dark horse pick was Ricky Fowler, who kind of came out of nowhere, but not to me. I knew I, I knew he had it in him. And he, he, he did, as I said earlier, shoot 62 uh, to share now the U.S. Open record. And he is still in first place uh, through seven holes, leading by one right now in round two. And Patrick Alog picked Victor Hovland, who won the Memorial Tournament, uh, the Jack Nicklaus's tournament, uh, just a couple weeks ago, and he is in 20th place. Uh, he also finished second in the PGA to Brooks Kepka. Uh, he was his number one pick, and his dark horse was Tommy Fleetwood, who I think is exhausted after the playoff in the Canadian Open last week. He is in 75th place. Uh, doesn't seem to be threatening right now. But anyway, so that, there's your uh, staff pick update on the U.S. Open. But uh, yeah, as, as you're calling in right now, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Really curious to hear what you think about this concept of the magic window and kids. And yeah, it's it's something that we should really pay attention to for sure. And when we think about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, really one of the things that Jesus shows us through His heart is the heart of God the Father. And and I think that as we're praying today, and we're going to be doing this later tonight on the Family Rosary Across America, Father Rocky is going to take some special time to pray the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, which we've been asked to do by Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles and many others as well, uh, the head of our military archdiocese and uh, all the other. Actually, we have to pray for the bishops especially right now because they are in the midst of their assembly in Orlando uh, they're working through some serious, serious issues, and obviously this is on their minds, and they're all praying this, and they've asked everybody uh, to pray for all the outrages committed against the Sacred Heart. And as Cardinal Collins talked about, too, this idea of finding the love of God in the Sacred Heart. That's where we're going to find true love. That's where we're going to find acceptance. That's where we're going to find joy. That's where we're going to find 
humility. As Jesus says, you know, I am meek and humble in heart. You know, that's such a an antidote to the rebelliousness uh, of the culture today in so many ways. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Aurelia in Chicago. Hi, Aurelia. Hi, Kale. How are you? Good. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Uh, Oralia. Yes. Oralia. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just uh, telling uh, your call screener about the magic window. I mm. think it's something my husband helped me see. I mm. was a nurse, and well, I'm still a nurse, <laughs> but you know, oh, working you. three twelve-hour shifts. Thank you. Um, it's hard on the family, and yeah. I decided to go registry, so and I work three shifts in 12 weeks. So definitely cut down a lot of on the income, but I think it is worth, you know, seeing being there more for them. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a four year old, five and a nine year old. Oh, wow. I'm on, on the way. So yeah. wow, congratulations um, to you. Thank you. Thank you. But it's definitely a mindset. Like I, so at the beginning I used to get, so nervous like we're not gonna have enough money we're not mm. you know like just yep. my husband will be the one that like you know we don't need all this extra stuff all this extra toys all this you know like mm-hmm. all the unnecessary things um so yeah it, it's made i think it's made me more humble and uh, more trusting in god uh more trusting in my husband as the head mm. of the family um yeah, and I enjoy being with the kids now. They make me laugh. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a different mentality because you, now you don't think, you know, work around the house. Sometimes you want to focus on that, and you just have to be like, no, I'm here for them. Like if they want to mm. play, I can take them outside all evening <laughs> if I want. Wow. Yeah, it's really so true, isn't it? That, that it's like a ministry of presence. And the the greatest present you can give your children is is your presence. I know that that sounds kind of corny, but but it's true. Uh, I once heard a a homily about Martha and Mary, and this idea of Mary sitting at Jesus's feet, and you know the stuff Martha was doing. It needed to be done. And, you know, you can understand her frustration, her exasperation, but we kind of have to combine those two, I think, in our interior life at, at times. But I remember once a preacher said about that about that passage. You know, Jesus, he he doesn't want yours as much as he wants you your stuff he wants you and and your kids do as well and i think you've made a great choice aurelia and i think i mispronounced your name again but aurelia that's that's right that's right hey i'm a guy people mess up my name all the time so i'm i'm used to that and i am kale clark thanks for joining me on the show today jim shaper produced patrick a log took your phone calls take it away michaela thank you for listening to my daddy